Hey there, this is the Jesus Drinks Coffee Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Yoshimura, and today I'm absolutely thrilled to have my friend Parker King on today's conversation. Parker currently serves as the Associate Director for Discipleship here at Pepperdine University, and a little birdie tells me that you're actually about to finish your master's degree in divinity here, so congratulations on almost being done there. Parker and I go back, man, several years now at this point, it's been just such a pleasure to serve alongside you in the kingdom at different churches and different local just ministries. And so it's been really fun to just see how we've both sort of transformed and matured over the years, wrestled with God, um, had new insight over scripture. So thanks so much for taking the time to be on today's conversation. Yeah. Thanks, Rachel. All the same to you. So first question, how did your discipleship journey start? Were you born and raised in a Christian home? How did you kind of come to know Jesus and follow him from youth until today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, um, like many people that come through Pepperdine, was raised in the church. Um, I had an incredible family of faith with two loving parents that made it uh, an important part of my upbringing to have me plugged into a faith community. I deeply appreciate the kind of love and care that they showed me through our conversations about faith and through including me in um, the church experience, talking to me about faith and why we go on Sundays, why, um, they want me to get plugged into youth group. Uh, and I deeply like loved my upbringing in the church. Um, like many, I think you go through a season, uh, as you get a little bit older where you want to ask questions and you feel as if there's not space for that. Um, there's a fear of being seen as, uh, doubtful of, uh, the faith, or at least just confused by things that everyone else on the surface seems to get. Um, and so I also just like found a, a deep love for scripture and reading it, studying it, learning um, from others about it and found so many more questions raised by yeah. scripture um, in that season of life and just struggled sometimes with, with talking with people about it. Um, and so that led uh, to kind of a faith that I'm from Texas, and I think a lot of people talk about uh, cultural Christianity in the South, um, how pervasive it is. But um, I, I found my experience was that even in myself and around me, I saw people who really wanted um, to live lives of faith, who really wanted to live like Jesus, but it felt like the cultural current around them um, was just either numb to that or it wasn't actually a part of faith at all, that becoming like Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus wasn't really the focus. Um, you know, upon reflection, I've seen more elements of social control and kind of trying to get people to think mm -hmm. and act the same way. Um, I saw elements uh, of just really a kind of performance-based uh, Christianity or faith that that wanted to impress other people, that faith was just mm, one yeah. of the status markers of growing up in that world. Um, and so as I came to college, the thing that really, I believe is the, the turning point for that was an encounter with people who by their own example, lived lives of faith um, and followed Jesus, that they gave me a picture of, um, of faith that was so compelling uh, that I wanted, I wanted a part of that. I wanted to know what made them that way. And it was, it was by spending and living, spending time with them and living life with them that I encountered the God um, that shows us by example how we should live. And that mm. is just what it means to me to be a disciple of Jesus. And I saw that through these friends um, is to encounter God, not just by teaching, not just by words on a page, not just by, um, you know, a great book here or there, great message, but rather seeing it ex and experiencing it in the life uh, in the life that we live. And so mm. that led me to kind of rethink my own paradigm and mental maps for faith, like where and why am I here? What's my purpose? What is all of this about? And it was through that kind of season of reflection, my first few years of college, that um, I really knew I wanted to do this Masters of Divinity because I just found uh, a deep love for the kind of academic and challenging side of um of faith that, that inspired me to do more study uh, through Pepperdine and through our school uh, with the hopes of going on and getting a PhD and hopefully connecting these um, disciplines, or I guess connecting these uh, 
realms of faith, if you would, the church and upper academia with um, study of scripture and study of the, the life of the church, the history of the church. Um, and it's, it's through that passion and that desire that I've found just like an outpouring of um, God's just goodness, love, mercy, uh, and, and so much fun. I just have fun studying mm-hmm. and having these kinds of conversations and it's connected to my life as a disciple in a way that um, I just know is God at work in me. Yeah, that's so great. Thanks so much for sharing. Mm-hmm. Man, I I love hearing that that moment where you got to to see and encounter people that were true disciples of Jesus, right? So they looked different. And I think that's that's huge because I I know, you know, in in conversations um with young adults or myself too, you know, we have conversations about this idea of evangelism mm. of you know, how do I get comfortable with telling people that I'm a Christian and how do I sort of sell them on this like whole gospel? And I remember really struggling with this concept um, and honestly still do a bit in high school and in in college of like, well, in order to talk about the gospel, you have to introduce this idea of like sin and like, hey, you're a sinner, but don't (laughs) worry. Like there's this guy named Jesus who makes it all better. And I remember being like, oh man, like really talking about the gospel is difficult. And I know a lot of young adults struggle with that as well. But what I love about hearing about your story is this idea of the way people living being so compelling that it was like they weren't systematically like oh here's how you do things with jesus and this is how you should behave Mm -hmm. but it's like their lives almost like led before that conversation Mm -hmm. right of like this is what it looks like to just live authentically and Mm -hmm. and to not come from a place of really striving to work more and more Mm -hmm. to become and look like jesus but as we engage in relationship with God, as we learn from scripture, as we talk about spiritual disciplines, like we're going to be talking about later, Mm -hmm. having that transform our lives and lead before us. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it's like, and then they can have the conversation of, you know, for people that are non-believers or for people that are, were in a similar place like you were, you know, of, I was raised in this faith and I have these questions, but I don't really know what this should look like Mm -hmm. played out or like realistically, what is it? actually mean to be a disciple today when things are so different hmm. you know our society is so much different than you know when jesus originally walked yeah. the earth so like how does that translate you know not just like the weird passages about like the sheep and the goats and the, <laughs> right you know because yeah. in in southern california in 2022 it's a little hard to translate some of that but what does it really look like so i just love hearing that in your story that people's authentic discipleship is what invited you to mm. to take your own journey mm-hmm. yeah i I sometimes think that, uh, and we know how uh, important it is to Gen Z um, and even younger millennials like myself, I kind of find myself right. I think both of us are right on that (laughs) border, um, how important authenticity is. And I I struggle with it sometimes in my own life because, yeah, I crave that authenticity um, of, of faith expression from my own vantage point, my own context, my own experience. Um, Yet at the same time, I find just alone in myself with only me and my thoughts on the matter, I'm like, man, this isn't enough. Like I have mm. to have someone yeah. else. And, and so the, the role of community um, in faith and the role of the historic faith, yeah. that I think it, we do ourselves a disservice when we think um, we are separated from uh, the church of history, when we are separated from the faith of history. Yeah, no, mm. that's so good. Yeah, and I think to... I don't know, for the goal to not be to look a certain way, yeah. right? So it's like, I don't, I like, because then it gets convoluted, right? Back into the circle of what you're talking about, you mm. know, life where you grew up was just this performance-based faith where mm. it was like cool to be a Christian that X, Y, Z. And mm-hmm. I feel like our church culture can totally be guilty of this, mm. of like, oh, I serve like on the welcome team, you know, and that means X, Y, Z about my faith, about my character, mm. about whatever it is, you know? Um, but allowing just this deep desire to be like Jesus. And as we get to, to know the living God, having this desire to, to live life the perfect way he intended, Mm. you know, to have that be the authentic motivating factor Mm -hmm. so that the results can just be, I mean, obviously it's influenced by our efforts for sure, but it's like, it's, it's that type of fruit that scripture talks about where it's Mm. like, God's the one that mm. plants the seeds. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, I want to make my heart that good soil that Matthew talks about. Like, right. I, I want to be like soft hearted and open and like hearing God's word and obeying. Mm. But at the end of the day, God's the one that plants the seed. God's the one that waters it. God's the one that brings it to fruition. Mm. And then I think people see that and they're like, oh my gosh, I've never seen, you know, kindness like that or forgiveness mm. like that 
or work ethic or whatever the fruit is, but it's like, that's what's appealing, but it's not coming from this back-ended motivation. I want to seem cool, but it's, it's very nuanced. Oh, so nuanced. And yeah, but I mean, you're, you're speaking exactly to it, that it's, it's the authentic fruit that it's, I think the more time you spend following Jesus and the more time you spend in a community of people following Jesus, the more you will feel that desire for your natural response to be Christ-like. Yeah. Um, And so much of, I think, spiritual formation is so that in our bodies formed in us in taking on the mind of Christ and participating in the mysterious union that we have in Christ, mm-hmm. that, that it would be our natural response. It would be our authentic thing to love my enemy, um, to not be so frustrated when X, Y, Z goes wrong. I found myself just this morning have a moment where I was like, God, I just spent this time in, in prayer and an incredible, enriching time with you. And then the first thing that happened that inconvenienced me, I was angry. And it was, it was taking up yeah. all of my thought life of why <laughs> totally. I was so mad. And I, I would love for the authentic, natural response of me to be that kind of Christ-like response. But often it's not. Um, but that I don't think that that's a, that just means I'm hopeless. Yeah. I don't think that that means the whole... Christ-likeness endeavor is is a waste of time. I think it is all the more reason why we should pour our energy, our time, um, our devotion to God into this kind of you know shaping and living a life that's characterized by habits and practices, uh, relationships mm-hmm. that form us into Christ-likeness, so that our authentic, natural self really does look like Him. Um, yeah. and that is just that's the telos of my faith. That's where I want to be. Um, you know, I want to be there tomorrow, but I figure it's going to take a lot longer than that. <laughs> Me too. I think that's why God lets us live longer in this yeah. lifetime is to give us more time. <laughs> more time. Right. So much more time. Yeah. Man, that's so good. Yeah. Well, I invited you in part because one, I love talking to you and I love to hear what Thanks. the Lord says in you and through your life. Um, but wanted to talk about sort of spiritual disciplines, and the rule of life, because I think it actually gets really central to what we're talking about hmm. is how do I cultivate a life of discipleship mm-hmm. you know like how, how do i make my my heart that good soil what are the things that i can do in order to position myself for for god to to form me more into the likeness of jesus so let's start with the the rule of life i know that's been something that you've been um, taking a cohort of pepperdine students mm-hmm. through so so tell me about um, the rule of life your experience with it and anything else that you can bless us with yeah and okay give me a time limit on this because yeah. <laughs> otherwise i'll just go for the rest of our time together um yeah a rule of life uh, may sound foreign on first hearing for people of faith particularly of the protestant variety um that it is not within our context nor within our worship expression that language a rule of life is simply um, a governing set of practices habits relationships um, that form us into Christ-likeness by, by allowing or by centering our abiding in Christ um, to happen in these, in these spaces or through these practices. Um, and so the, uh, the rule of faith, most churches have a kind of statement of faith. Mm. They will say certain doctrinal tenets, you know, whether or not they consider themselves as orthodox, um, you know, in, in affirming certain creeds, affirming certain uh, lines about the Bible, um, or about community, about faith, about all these things. Um, but a rule of life uh, was a, a kind of shaping document or collection of sayings that would have governed a, a monastic group of people. So most of the monasteries, um, or at least monastic orders of church history, were shaped by both a rule of faith and a rule of life. So a rule of life is deeply Im- embedded and entrenched in kind of monastic spirituality. Um, and I have just loved reading um, some of the, the rules of history, in particular um, Augustine's short rule, uh, Augustine, I guess you should say it the right way. Um, <laughs> Benedict's rule, the rule of St. Francis, one that's not as often uh, discussed. But these, these rules are just very, very simple, very, very short documents, um, often that just revolve around the life that an average monk or nun in one of these communities would live. Um, and so for the average 21st century, say, young adult Christian, they might think, like, what in the world does this have to do with me? Why in the world would I want anything to do with this? Um, and the case that I usually make and that I'm, I'm kind of trying to make to these cohorts uh, is it comes from, at its root, just a, a quote that I love from Abba Poeman, uh, who's one of the Desert Fathers. He just says this, 
Like, don't give your heart to that which cannot satisfy your heart. Mm. Um, and it's simple. Uh, and I think when I spend time with the court talking about a rule of life and what it is and the, the practices that make up the rule of life that we center ourselves around um, is, is getting to the heart of this issue that we are desiring creatures, that our hearts mm. want things. And that's not a bad thing, that we were created with that yeah. in mind, that our thoughts and our feelings kind of intersect in our desires and mm. the things we, we want, the things we think about, we will want more. The things that we feel strongly about, we will want more, that these, these three things, our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, are related in an inseparable way. And we were created with that in mind. Um, and I believe that when we submit all three of these things uh, to God, we live the kind of life that is flourishing. Um, and so to speak to my own experience, when like growing up in the faith that I did, um, I, I was always kind of confused in my own life, most, you know, first and foremost, but also in the life of other followers of Jesus, how it didn't look any different than maybe someone who wasn't a part of a faith community or even a part of a different faith community um, and, and close friends that, that weren't particular Christians that um, I think lived lives that looked more like Jesus's life than, than those that were followers of Jesus. And I was so confused. Um, and I, through study of the rule of life, uh, of different rules of life and kind of some of the spiritual formation literature around it, um, I found myself challenged to see that I had kind of I had thought the right thoughts and maybe I had been in the worship settings uh, where I felt the right things, but my life wasn't being transformed. Wow, it it yeah. wasn't becoming every day more and more to look like Jesus's. And I realized that my desires at the core level of who I was, that my desires were incredibly contrary um, and in different direction than Jesus's desire for the kingdom of God to be present here on earth for lives to find their fulfillment in him. Um, being the way and the truth, the life, the living water, the bread of life, all of these things. Jesus is saying, find this fulfillment, find the fullness of your desires in me um, and in relationship with God, and you will have the life that you've always wanted um, because that life will be changed. And so a rule of life being just a set of practices, habits, um, relationships that you commit to, um, I think is how we bring into uh, our day-to-day -day experience, our day-to-day -day lives, our contexts where we are, especially as young adults, maybe in college or beginning your careers, um, that's how we bring our feelings, our thoughts, and our desires to God. Um, and yeah, again, I can keep going forever. Yeah, no, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I remember I was uh, catching up with um, a young adult I, I used to mentor, you know, in, in college during undergrad. And I hadn't talked to this person in, in a long time. And we just had a brief moment catching up. Of, we just ran into each other mm -hmm. kind of on the street. And I was talking to them. I was like, yeah, hey, like, how is your faith doing? You know, what, what's been going on? You know, we, we kind of do the catch up, career, whatever, relationships. And, you know, they said, you know, no one has really asked me that hmm. in, in a long time. Hmm. Ever since, you know, graduating from a Christian university and... First of all, my heart just broke. I was like, oh my gosh. You know, not, and, and I know this person, well, I, I'm pretty sure this person's in community with other Christians, you know, but it's like, okay, wow. Like, you know, leaving that environment, all of a sudden that like Christian community was gone. I know that's a lot of the case for people leaving sort of their, their Christian home and, and church if they went to a church in high school and, you know, moving places or moving out of a faith community or whatever it is. Hmm. And I remember having this conversation with them and, you know, they said something that's been particularly hard for me becoming, you know, this, a young adult or a full adult today entering <laughs> into the workforce was, you know, I know in my head that scripture says to not allow money to be your master. Hmm. But I feel like the only approach I know to my career is to make more money, hmm. you know, and just like, hmm. don't don't be a criminal. Like, don't, you know, <laughs> yeah, don't do the obviously things. <laughs> unethical things. Right. But this, just this dichotomy between like, I know what the church has said and I know what scripture has said about money, but my desire right in my career space mm. it is, the, is the same as other people that, that don't follow Jesus. And right. I just, I had this moment when I was standing with them and I was like, this is it. This is the challenge I think of, of becoming a young adult today and trying to also be a disciple of Jesus is, mm -hmm. is, you know, w what goes in between the, I know scripture says, but my desires are different. My life yeah. looks different. Yeah. 
And I and I think that the rule of life and spiritual disciplines can be one thing mm-hmm. to help us lessen that gap mm. between this is what I think is true and right and it is viewable in my life. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, they, the spiritual practices or disciplines, whatever language you want to use. Um, and we were speaking about this briefly just before. It's, a, it's almost a tragedy that there needs to be um, that they need to be qualified or characterized as separate or as distinct elements that we don't just consider them a part of faith. Um, but I, and if anyone is listening to this and is familiar with a lot of Dallas Willard's work, then they know I'm just absolutely paraphrasing, uh, and really plagiarizing most of, most of his thoughts. But I think the idea that faith, um, that a missing part of the faith of, um, the West, but but in particular, 21st century uh, American Christianity is a curriculum for Christ-likeness, wow. right? And so the a rule of faith, or uh, sorry, a rule of life for me is exactly that. It is a sort of like a syllabus for mm. life um, that has all the, the information, the little things that I can keep coming back to to think, oh, wow, am I practicing my faith? Am I putting my faith, these beliefs, these thoughts, these uh, what I know to be true of God into action? And am I seeing those two things as inseparable? Um, yeah. Can I really have a faith? You know, I think it's beautiful that James would make this kind of comment of, like, you show me, you know, your works by faith, or like, I'll show you my faith by my works, like, that they are inseparable. Mm, yeah. um, and that's that's difficult because we always have to um, kind of qualify, like, no, 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 I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about these other things about faith. I'm just talking about this. And it's like, well, what if our whole lives, we just didn't separate those things? Mm. What if our faith was holistic um, in this sense and that these spiritual practices are a way to integrate our our habits, our, the hours that we have each day to live the kind of life um, that is Christ-like. Um, and that I think if we're missing that, then, then the spiritual practices need to find a resurgence. They need to be brought back to the forefront. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Mm. I know in this conversation about the rule of life and spiritual disciplines, mm-hmm. I've often heard, and I don't actually know where this originates from. I'm sure it's, you know, nothing is new really in the faith, right? We <laughs> <No>. just <laughs> recycle and put a new spin to it. Always. Um, but I hear people talking about the rule of life and spiritual disciplines being like a trellis, yeah. right? So it's this is this structure, mm-hmm. um, kind of like a fence is what I visualize, mm-hmm. a fence for a plant to grow on. And so I actually love plants. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm, yeah. I'm oh, we've talked about plants. Yeah. plants. So yeah, the indoor plants, the outdoor plants, I love them all. And so I remember when I was first starting my garden, you know, my, my housemate really wanted to, to um, plant vegetables. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't really, I love vegetables, but it's more efficient to just buy them. But, you know, we'll, we'll do it. It'll be a <laughs> metaphorical thing. It'll be great. So, we, you know, planted the seeds and we were trying to grow cucumbers. And um, for the first, I think, month, you know, there would be a vine with lots of these uh, really nice big leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there would be this little bud that was supposed to be a, cu- a cucumber mm-hmm. and it would just die and so i researched how to grow cucumbers in my (laughs) angst and angry googling and i found out that that's the type of vine Mm -hmm. right most vines are like this where you need some type of vertical support to get it off of the ground Mm -hmm. right and so in order for certain plants to grow fruit especially vine related fruits or vegetables you have to raise it up right Mm -hmm. and so what i think about um, scripture for me that's almost like the seed right mm-hmm. the, the scripture is this this really rich truth of who god is mm-hmm. of how he wants us to live whatever it is mm-hmm. but the spiritual disciplines i think are what give the that seed structure to grow on and to mm-hmm. flourish right okay. so it's like it's it's one thing to to read scripture right? and scripture mm-hmm. talks about this it's one thing to just to to hear the word of God, but it's another thing to actually live it out and put it into practice. Mm. And, I, and I don't think we can really do one without the other. At least that's not what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of spiritual disciplines, uh, tell me about a couple of your favorite. What do you put into practice to help you cultivate this life of authentic discipleship? Yeah, yeah. I just want to speak to exactly what you said. I'm so grateful that you brought in the image of um, of rule because I think inherently we hear a word like rule and we think, uh-oh, like this is probably going to be something I need to do or more often with Christianity not to do. But I'm so glad that you spoke to the, you know, the Latin regula there, that it's um, this, uh, it's this rule or this line, this order um, that, that, yeah, is best described in the imagery of a trellis um, that we can grow up with. Um, And so for me, spiritual practices that uh, have profoundly shaped my life, I can think of three first and like 
off the top of my head that that have had the most impact on me. Um, two, I see as kind of the foundational spiritual practices for um, the life uh, of a follower of Jesus, and they're modeled most clearly by uh, Jesus and his disciples. And that's um, table fellowship, and then silence and solitude, with with prayer kind of being the the primary um, time spent or uh, like a uh, practice in silence and solitude. Um, so if you want to say table fellowship and prayer and table fellowship is the, the communal uh, practice that the, the way of Jesus is grounded in. And then prayer and silence and solitude is the individual practice um, that the way of Jesus is grounded in. And these two practices um, and the kind of participation in one that then leads to the other, that then brings you back to the one have just been so transformational for me um, like what I've said before is just that in my experience growing up in faith um, and in the church, I saw just how little these practices took up the bulk of my my time in faith, my time doing mm. faith things. Um, and it felt as though I spent far more time thinking about where I was on Sunday morning, um, far more time um, kind of listening to messages, sermons, um, and all these things. And I think there's an abundance of great teaching that we should put ourselves under um, and learn from, um, or, you know, time in scripture and the kind of study, academic study that I do love, but that um, kind of shaped my devotional life. I just found none of this encouragement or at least this space to ask questions about um, how dominant and how central table fellowship uh, and prayer are in both the gospels and the life of Jesus and the disciples, as well as in the the whole narrative of scripture, that that it seems often Jesus is inviting people to the table um, and that they encounter him there, that the bread and wine um, of communion or the Eucharist are offered at the table. Um, and then regularly in the gospels, you see Jesus slip away um, to the quiet place or the, the extended period of time at the beginning of the gospels in, in meditation in the desert. Um, and that that, that season, uh, or at least that, the, you know, those 40 days that Jesus would step into was a refining and growing element of his faith. And it's then from that point that his ministry launches from, um, that it wasn't a moment of weakness, but rather that fasting had strengthened him for the ministry that was coming, that he was going to participate in and lead. Um, and so those two practices, uh, and especially together, when I, when I find myself in periods where I'm surrounded by community as an introvert, sometimes I think, man, this is so much harder than my hour uh, in the morning and the last kind of hour of my day where I can kind of get away from people. Um, but the practice uh, of just reminding myself that God will meet us at the table when we invite him there, that when we gather um, and learn about each other's lives, when we walk alongside each other and invite those who are never uh, or often overlooked, um, when we invite them to the table, that God shows up. Um, that God is, that Jesus has said that that is where he is, um, that he is with those people. Um, and then the last one is uh, kind of the one that I think is in right now when it comes to spiritual practices, or at least talking about it. I wonder if we're practicing some different form of it, but it's Sabbath. Um, I myself am guilty of seeing Sabbath as just uh, kind of a self-care day and that self-care is in no way um, opposite to what God wants for us, um, that God desires for us to have a holistic and a healthy self. Um, but making and reducing Sabbath to just this day to 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 do all the self care things and make myself feel really good and kind of mm. binge out on yeah. things that you know uh, I haven't gotten the chance to in the busyness of the rest of the week um, that I'm missing something that I'm not really keeping the Sabbath nor am I keeping it holy mm. it's not really set apart in any way it's just um, a day where I kind of you know kick my shoes off and and do something uh, that otherwise wouldn't really be considered deepening or living in relationship with God. But the practice of Sabbath um, has just slowly built and grown in my life um, a, a new form of patience, a new form of um, understanding God and living in relationship with God that's not always expecting uh, some kind of huge moment um, or some kind of audible voice of God to just declare, this is exactly what you need to do for this situation or context, but rather it has just opened my mind to the, the sovereignty of God over all time and all space, that even when I contribute nothing, even when I um, produce nothing, 
um, even when I just rest in his presence, um, that I am fully seen and fully known and that the world continues to turn. (laughs) That is the thing I've learned the most, um, being just someone who is always trying to do something, uh, to help others to do, to, to perform or to produce something that, that in the moments of stillness, um, and communal practice of Sabbath and, and in my time alone with God in the stillness there that I've just found God meet me in ways that um, I've never found elsewhere. Uh, and it's opened my mind to just the, the kind of way or the way that God transforms us um, through the spiritual practices that we often think it's, well, we have to do something. Um, and then by doing something, God then honors or is like, yes, that you did the right thing. Check the box. Here's your you know, reward. You're more like Jesus now. It's like, but, but actually in Sabbath, it's almost that by not doing some of these other things, that by allowing God to be, um, by modeling and living after the example of God in, uh, you know, the Genesis narrative and creation, that we encounter God through that almost lack there, Mm. uh, which is interesting. It's counterintuitive. It's not really how we think of faith, but that by creating that space where we don't work, God shows up um, in in a new way. And I think a really incredible way that so many young adults um, would benefit so deeply from the kind of anxious and um, busy and hurried lives that they live, that I think Sabbath would be a transformational practice for so many of them, but it's so hard. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I remember, man, I, thank you for sharing all that. First <laughs> of all, that's so rich. I'm just <laughs> chewing on those practices because they're so sweet. Uh, yeah. I know I started practicing Sabbath my second semester senior year mm-hmm. of undergrad. Mm-hmm. So my most busy time, um, yeah. but I had an amazing spiritual mentor, Linda Trushke, if you <laughs> remember her, yeah, um, who, you know, just really encouraged me to, to set aside time for rest and worship onto God. Mm. And I, I've been practicing it ever since, so it's been a handful of years now. And I know for me, it's, it's been a journey, and I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on this, of when I first started that spiritual discipline, it was hard. Yeah. And like, I didn't, I didn't want to. Here's the ironic thing, especially about Sabbath is it sounds so like sweet and right. alluring. You're like, oh, a day of rest, a day of self-care. Right. Like, yes, right? But I was like, first of all, I, was like, I can't afford to just yeah. not do work either as a mm. student or profession. It's like, I can't just afford to not do it, not do this work one day. Or even if I try to stop, my mind is still thinking mm-hmm. about all the work I need to do. Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel good. And there were, this was like months, maybe, maybe honestly the first like three, six months of me really trying to practice Sabbath, it was hard. Mm. It felt like kind of, I used to hate vegetables when I was young. It felt like in college when I was like, okay, I should really start eating vegetables. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, I know it's good for me, but I don't want to. Um, And so it was tough for me. Mm. And now it's, and now it's one of my favorite, you know, days of the week. And I look forward to it, but would love to hear sort of your journey of implementing these spiritual disciplines. Like Mm -hmm. have, were there moments of, of difficulty? How have they progressed as you've tried to integrate it more into your sort of daily or weekly rhythms? Yeah, no, that's, and that is, I think one of, if not the most kind of, daunting or at least uh, the, the question that usually stops people before they even get started is that they think they have to jump into these spiritual practices uh, in a way that it's like four hours of silence and solitude every morning and then I fast five days a week and I practice two days of Sabbath for some reason because I can do two <laughs> times the amount of normal and it's like that is just that there is no there's no thing in our lives that by jumping in that way do you really create a sustainable, a long-term, a, like a longevity of practice that really has the power to shape you in the long run, that you find exactly what you already see in today's world. You see burnout. You see just almost little to no commitment to the things that we say and to the people that we say we commit ourselves to. It's just so easy. Um, and I'm, I'm as guilty of that as, as anyone with the spiritual practices. Um, because we just want to do it in a way that I think it either impresses God or impresses others, um, but that at the core, the spiritual practices must remain practices. They begin at the 
they begin in your context. They begin at your level of, of practice that you, you can't ascend to be the best of something by trying to start out at um, you know, the top level. A, a piano player couldn't just grab any random uh, piece of music thinking that they can play it without learning how to read sheet music, without learning how to, you know, what the actual symbols um, on a line of music even are. Uh, and so when, in my own experience, I think something that I, I really had to remind myself um, and that led to some of the most fruit is that, um, and I think, it, I, I'm, I think it comes from a quote from Lewis, but that it's like even um, that if, if the true desire of our hearts is to be with God, um, to, to learn what it means to live life with God, to have faith in God, um, that God is even uh, pleased in our stumblings. Mm, um, wow. And it's a quote from the screw tape letters that I'm not quoting fully, um, talking about kind of the the peaks and troughs of life. Um, but but that line has always stuck out with me that it's it's even in these small little tiny things. What if it's just what if it's just an hour of Sabbath practice on on one of the weekends, um, and it is you set your phone aside. Um, you're not going to watch a movie. You're not even going to read a book. Uh, but it's slowing down and just thinking about uh, the week that you've had, um, the work that you've done, that you offer um, both the work that you've done throughout the week and this moment of reflection to God. Um, and then when an hour, uh, and I promise you it will be enriching, when an hour of that Sabbath practice feels as though um, it's, it's created a craving in you for something longer, then that is when you step into, okay, um, you know, I'll challenge myself for the half day. What if from when I wake up to Saturday, you know, um, I practice Sabbath and now have for a few years, Saturday at noon to Sunday at noon. And so I conclude kind of with participating in a worship service um, at church. And it's, it's the perfect, like it's the day that I, yeah, it's the day or the time that I look forward to most, but it didn't start that way. Um, and so if, it, if these practices are ways that our, our thoughts, our feelings, and our desires intersect, then it's, it's going to come with a lack of um, a feeling good about it. It's going to begin with a lack of desiring it, uh, but it's through kind of a commitment. It's through a continual kind of bringing ourselves, doing what we can, um, right, meeting and expecting God to meet us in those moments that, that we slowly find our desires changed. Um, and then you have to start small. Um, and so with Sabbath in particular, that's one that I've, I, I remember trying to do the full day at first. I remember trying to do even extended periods at first and it was just hard and it never worked. And I was like, this, this is why no one does it. It was like, um, you know, it's not, it's not possible. Um, uh, but it, but it was by starting small and kind of starting there that I found the most fruit. And then that inspired and drew a desire out of me to grow more. But I want to just speak briefly to one other thing you said. I think the hardest thing that um, young adults will face as well as just American uh, kind of Protestant Christianity will struggle with is that Sabbath inherently was a communal practice. So questions about, I, uh, you know, what do you say to the young uh, mother of two children who works two to three jobs um, and is told, hey, you need to practice this to really deepen your faith. Um, and it's like, well, I work throughout the week one job and then I work on the weekends and I try and make sure that my kids have all these things. Where is the space for this? And I think that the hardest thing, and, and all of American Christianity um, uh, needs to wrestle with this, especially evangelicalism, has to wrestle with the fact that if Sabbath is communal, then we will participate in Sabbath and creating the ability to practice Sabbath with one another. Wow. Um, and that is at its core, why Sabbath was so foundational to um, the Jewish people uh, was that it shaped and made them holy. It made them set apart that the Sabbath day was different than the local economies and governments would have liked them to participate. Um, and so for, for Jesus to say, um, and I think often we misinterpret some of Jesus's teachings about the Sabbath to think he just wanted us to get rid of it because it was a problem. Um, but for Jesus to say, like, you know, the Sabbath... Um, Man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. That's everyone. Sabbath was made for everyone, not just those who have the the means mm. to to separate that time. Um, and so that I think challenges. I hope churches and I hope individuals um, to see that we have to participate this participate in this communally. Um, and that means I may have to give up something of mine to be able to create that space for someone else. Um, and what I mean, what a beautiful vision for the church if they could see themselves as a, a resource for those who are not afforded by life, by 
the kind of the, the world that we live in, um, the ability to find that rest in God in Sabbath. What if, what if the church could create that space for others? Um, I think that would just be so amazing. I mean, I know it'd be transformational, uh, but I think it would be a compelling picture of, of these practices at work in the life of the church. Yeah, that is so good. I just recently was listening to John Mark Comer's Practicing the Way podcast mm-hmm. where he's the first four weeks are about Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to the one about Sabbath being communal. And I was like, I've been practicing this for like six years. Yeah. And it's been this really sweet individual mm-hmm. sport in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt like that was just such a fresh like word for me. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, Sabbath, like they started Sabbath with like dinner together, right. like with community and to not just like all participate in like share meal, which is so beautiful and lovely, but also to have a more pervasive expectation for people to rest mm. and worship. And mm-hmm. I know being on a church staff for, for years, yeah. it's so the sad that like, <laughs> exactly like right. people that I think work in, you know, career based ministry. Mm. I think a lot of times we, either inadvertently fall into this or just are really bad role models of creating Mm. boundaries and space for us to rest and worship God, which is so ironic because I think when you work in ministry, it seems like, oh, my work is worship. Mm -hmm. And so like setting aside a day for like worship is, you know, I'm worshiping God all the time with my work, right? Or, Or people just have too many needs. So like people are texting me all the time or whatever it is. And man, like learning how to set, boundaries for yourself absolutely but also create spaces in your workplace in your in your class project whatever it is mm-hmm. learning how to help when you have the power to do so create structures where people are more free to take things mm-hmm. like sabbath to to take moments of silence and solitude mm-hmm. i think it's huge because i remember when um you know i and john mccomber talks about this but when you are establishing these spiritual disciplines they are likely so countercultural that you will receive resistance yeah you know, and, and sometimes it's from other Christians, which I think is just crazy and absurd. But, mm. you know, we'll receive resistance from ourselves because that's our not our normal way of living from, mm-hmm. from other people, from outside entities. Um, but, you know, and so I remember when I first was like, I need to take a Sabbath. And I would like communicate that to my coworkers and my bosses of like, hey, on Fridays, I will not be available via phone or email mm. if it is if someone is dying, call me, yeah. but I'm, I may not even have my phone that day. Cause sometimes I yeah, go fully phone. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but usually it's like, okay, you know, people can figure it out without mm. me again. I'm not so important that the world will stop when right. I stop. Um, but I remember too, when I, um, started, you know, I guess getting more leadership in the church and just like rising progressively in my career mm. now being able to manage interns and other people. And so when I would communicate like, Hey, this is my Sabbath. I'm like f- fully out of work. You you can't speak to me. If you need my feedback for something, you need to get it to me the day before. Hmm. It I think gave them permission to do the same, and so yeah. so they started communicating to me like, Hey, that's great. Saturdays I don't work, so <laughs> you know Saturday is my Sabbath. Yeah. And so learning how to in whatever spaces that you have either power with your peers, um, or eventually when you start to rise up in leadership to help create those spaces exactly of what you're talking about because. A majority of our systems in the world, there is not that space because it is so countercultural. Yeah, yeah, and it, it. I'm now thinking just of something you said of being a role model, um, especially. I think, um, you know, if you're a young adult listening to this, you might think, okay, like great, these spiritual practices, people talk about it all the time. It's like, but I don't see it being done. Um, it doesn't really seem like there are all these people that are just completely transformed and completely changed um, by doing them. And so, okay, like, why is this relevant to me? And I think what the the thing I, I've been reflecting on just as I heard you speak into this is that they need both, you know, young adults um, and, and all people of faith need both role models and they need uh, a space where they can participate themselves um, that they can be the kind of change they want to see in the world, right? That, that, that often used quote that is inspiring and it's simple. Um, and so my hope for, uh, you know, young adults in these practices is that they will look at a, at a church or they'll look at a faith that maybe is lacking in these things. They'll see the role models who are doing them well and they'll live, you know, um, inspired by their example. But then, then they will also take it upon themselves to be like, wait, I can do this. Like I can begin here and now. Um, and that that is, you know, that's the importance uh, of a long lasting faith is that you can only look back 
and see the fruit um, of a life lived uh, that's been transformed by Christ that it's so hard to see in the moment. Um, that there are stories of people whose entire lives get flipped upside down and they're beautiful. Um, I was like, but the more and more that I spend time in the church and being raised in the church, the more I've seen people who over the course of their lives um, have lived kind of radical everyday transformation um, that it's, it's only upon looking back. Do you really see the fullness of that fruit? Um, and that when you're 20 years old, you can't, it's, you're too right. young. You, you only have 10 years of like working memory at that point. <laughs> it was like, but we are willing to listen to one another and spend all our time with ourselves, our thoughts and people our age. And I'm like, man, we have to find some wisdom from people who've come before um, living examples and now, you know, um, no longer living examples because we, we, it's just not in us alone. Um, it's not just in people our age alone. Uh, and, and we need those role models, but we also need spaces to, to participate, in our, participate in it ourselves. Yeah, man, that's so good. Mm. Something that what you're saying remind me of is um, in John Mark Comer's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, like my favorite red book ever. Nice. Um, <laughs> I've read it so many times. Nice. Something that, and it's a red book. And yeah, like. <laughs> that's always fun. Um, something that he talks about with the practice of Sabbath, which I think is true of all spiritual disciplines, but I really appreciated it um, with my own practice of Sabbath, was this idea that practicing the Sabbath is not supposed to be the end goal. Hmm. Like my yes. goal is not to do this spiritual discipline, yes. right? That he says that Sabbath is setting aside one day of rest and worship so that the rest of my six days are transformed. Hmm. So that, that, that one day set apart is me practicing, living from a place of rest and worship and intentionality mm-hmm. so that the rest of my life is transformed. And I think that's, that's true of silence and solitude mm-hmm. as well. You know, like I'm practicing this desire to or I'm practicing this behavior of stilling myself and the noise around me that mm-hmm. I may hear like my heart, my thoughts and the voice of God. And I think that's so that, you know, if we spend an hour of silence and solitude a week, mm-hmm. whatever it is, so that I'm more aware and attuned to God's presence mm-hmm. in my classrooms, in my workplaces, in my grocery stores, mm-hmm. you know, in table worship, you know, to, to get me practicing this idea of getting to the heart of people and connecting right. with people so that when I'm not inside that, you know, table space, that the rest of my life is transformed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. The, the telos or the end goal of all of these spiritual practices um, or these disciplines um, are never just them in themselves, uh, that I think that only leads to um, a kind of legalism of, oh my gosh, am I doing this? Am I not? Um, it's never grace-filled if those are just, if I, am I keeping the Sabbath? Am I, am I praying enough? Am I doing all that? That, that creates a sense of worry um, and a dread that we're just not enough, uh, but that when we kind of flip that and that the spiritual practices come from a place of we know our identity in God, that we know our identity in Christ, um, that they become the, the kind of vessel for the Holy Spirit to do the work in us that makes us more like Christ, right? Like the, I mean, the ancient word is theosis um, or the theological term for it, but like my goal is to be like Jesus. Why wouldn't I do the kinds of things that Jesus did? Um, why wouldn't I seek out ways to be uh, where Jesus has said Jesus is or, or with Jesus in this way? Um, and so... I, yeah, just the, the everydayness of faith is so hard to lose sight of. Um, and I think the, the spiritual disciplines, Sabbath is one that's grounded in our weekly schedule for that reminder of the everydayness of faith, um, that we are called to with every morning. You know, I think it reminds me of the, the Shema, um, in Deuteronomy six, it's just, it's, it's in your waking and in your laying down, it's in your walking about the town. It's in everything you do, that there's no element of our lives that are not supposed to be touched by our faith, but it's so much easier to compartmentalize them, mm-hmm. to separate it, to make it a part of this circle of friends or this kind of relationship with my parents. Faith has this expression here, but different there. Um, and so I think if we really want to become like Jesus, we'll see the, the holistic nature of faith and the spiritual practices are not just to earn us favor or earn us some kind of status, but rather to, to create the kind of people um, that we can live that holistic life of faith. Yeah, that's so good. Hmm. Yeah, I know. I remember um, this was a few months ago. Mm-hmm. I was talking to God about actually dating of all things. I was preparing um, the the little ceremony I gave for our friends Daniel and Kiana who are getting married. So I was just sitting with God and just 
understanding scripture and God's heart for for marriage and romantic relationships and all these things. And it was fascinating. And what I felt like God was talking to me about was this idea of, um, you know, I think at least in yeah modern day Western Christian like dating conversations, mm. we often talk about. We, I think there's this assumption that like the goal of dating and successful dating is getting married mm-hmm. and like is finding that person and i i agree with that actually i don't, I don't want to just be dating up a storm because that would be exhausting <laughs> but what i felt like god was was showing me is that marriage for sure but even dating leading up to marriage can be used to form us into christ-likeness hmm. and what i felt like god was showing me was like rachel all things can and should be used to form you into christ-likeness hmm. And I was so taken aback by that because I, because I think, okay, sitting down and reading my Bible in the morning, like, okay, going to like Sunday prayer, you know, right. all that stuff. Those are the things that form me into Christ likeness. Yeah. But God was just showing me that, first of all, I think all things are forming us, mm. whether it's into Christ likeness or not. not. Yeah. You know, and that's the, the TV I'm watching, the books I'm reading, um, the conversations I'm having with people. Mm-hmm. All things are interacting with us to form our understanding of the world, our behaviors, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So if we live in a posture, that allows God to actively enter into our lives and use everything to shape us. I think that's this authentic discipleship that Mm. we're talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. that we have these beautiful spiritual disciplines that we're intentionally creating spaces to God for God to bear this fruit in our lives. Mm -hmm. And also not letting the spiritual disciplines be something that's so clearly defined and has boundaries of, okay, I'm going to practice my spiritual disciplines now and then sort of take off my spiritual disciple hat so that I can go finish my homework assignment, you know, but allowing all things to be used by God to shape us. I think that that is a life of discipleship and a life of spiritual disciplines that I think hopefully eventually the goal is that everything would be spiritual and everything would be forming me into Christ's likeness Mm. as I, bring the kingdom of of heaven here on earth hmm. um, as it is with God in everything I do. Right, yeah. And that just speaks to what the word intentional is like drawing out of uh, or trying to make a, a point about is that it's intentional times where you are carved out in your, you know, the, the way that we allow our schedules to be dominated by everything but God. Uh, we carve that time back. We push back against mm. the kind of current of our world and we put intentional time for the practice of these disciplines so that it's like exactly like you said they bleed into the rest and that they begin to perfuse the person that we are in those other spaces in a way that yeah all of these things everything is brought back into um and under you know the care and love of of our god uh because we are um and so in those spaces we bring that with us that's really good yeah so good well thanks so much parker for yeah. being on our podcast hopefully you were blessed by that i know i was Definitely. just thinking about the spiritual disciplines and what does it mean to to live authentically as a disciple of jesus um, as people that are not fully like christ today but hopefully we will be <laughs> more and more tomorrow on the yes. next day but thanks so much parker it was a joy to have you here yeah thank you rachel <laughs>